hey, you know, when you, when you don't preach for a while, you really miss it. Like, I miss not preaching. But it was good to receive this past week at the, uh, the Sila residency that I was at. Met a lot of very interesting people from all over the country. And um, one other pastor, and he, he was kind of my age, and, and uh, we got to talking, and, you know, he planted a church, and it was like, I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're so much alike. And then I read his biography, and he's, you know, doctor so-and-so. I'm like, yeah, dude, we're like this far apart now. I mean, doctor, really? Oh, I digress. So uh, the last time we were in the book of Malachi, we were looking at God being frustrated with the priests. See, it seems that the priests were accepting blemished animals for sacrifice. And they were allowing the people to bring these blemished animals and to be sacrificed before the Lord. And the Lord required the perfect, the spotless, the the good animals. And we kind of wrestled with, within ourselves, within our own community, do we bring sacrifices to the Lord that cost us nothing? Because these worthless animals would have been, they weren't even good enough to eat. And so they would bring them to the priests and the priests would sacrifice them to God. And God is like, really? Is this what you're going to give to me? And we wrestled when we make our sacrifice to the Lord, does it cost us anything at all? Or do we just bring him what's left over? Our leftover time and our leftover energies, our leftover finances, our leftover resources. It's a very honest question to ask. It's a very honest question to begin to wrestle with inside our very spirits. I think we all have to come to that place of just kind of letting that marinate and churn in us. Not pointing the finger at someone else how they can be doing much better than they are. No, no, this is about, this is about us. And then as we get into chapter 2 of Malachi, that kind of ended chapter 1. Chapter 2 of Malachi, God continues to voice his displeasure with the priests. He's telling them, listen guys, get it together. Get a grip on this thing. Or he is going to enact discipline. If you read the text, it's, God says he's going to throw the animal poo in their faces. God's discipline cannot be fun sometimes. And he's telling them all of it. You don't understand what you're doing. Will you please reconsider? And then we come to this text. In verse 8. This is God speaking to the priests. We have turned away. If you turn from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble, you have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways, but you have shown partiality in matters of the law. It would seem... That the example of the priests isn't 
where it needs to be. That their teachings, that the way they're living their life, that the way they're, they're showing the people, they've actually caused people to stumble and to, to pull away and to walk away from God and not bring them to him. Their lack of reverence for the ways of the Lord have caused other people to be irreverent in their relationship with God. Their shallow, anemic spirituality is causing the other people, the people, to be shallow and anemic in their own spirituality. They're condoning, they're condoning a lifestyle that the Lord has called people not to live in. The priests are saying it's okay. I think we should turn the fan on, huh? Or at least the AC in the back. It's a little warm in here. Maybe it's the Holy Ghost. Could be. The priests, they live a life of contempt for the Lord. And they're teaching other people to do the same. Remember last time we looked at this passage in 1 Peter. And 1 Peter said that we are all priests because of Jesus Christ. And so the question falls upon us. The way that we live our lives, the church, people called to the things of God, the way that we are living our lives, are we leading people, pushing people, moving people toward Jesus? Or are we causing them to walk away and be done with Him? Are we moving people toward God by the way we live? Or are we causing them to say, you know, this God thing is a joke. I want nothing to do with it. Again, it's a question that we have to wrestle with. And, it, and it's not, this is not about your morality and how good you think you can be and how you can follow all the rules and you can get it all right. Just so you know, you can't follow all the rules and you're never going to get it right. It's not about that. It's about making Jesus the most important thing in your life and just continually trying to move your life in that direction. Or... Or have we become the generations of priests that say, do as I say, not as I do. I would rather us become the generation that says, follow me as I follow Christ. So where have we landed? What does our life look like? Are we pushing people away or are we inviting them in? I mean, this has major consequences on this community. Individual decision has a consequence on the entire community. And it has a consequence for the people out there, outside of these walls. And then verse 9, it's really scary because it says, I've caused you to be despised and humiliated before all people. And so they're not living their lives the way God has called them to. They're actually causing people to stumble and to walk away. And God is telling them, you will be despised and humiliated before all people. Let me tell you, that hurts. Those are the words of the Lord spoken to his people, his priests. And I come to and I wrestle with in myself, have we in our culture, lost our voice because we are always quick to speak and very slow to live. 
We're always, we're always quick to, to, uh, to, to condemn people, but very slow to show them grace. We like to judge. The Lord calls us to walk in grace. Not just, uh, not just condoning people's actions, but be graceful and loving in the way that, we, that we've approached them. People hold the church in contempt. And, and uh, listen, I know, I know in part it's because of the message that we bring. It's, the, it's, it's Jesus. It's the gospel. People don't like the gospel. People sometimes don't like Jesus. Jesus said, he said, they hated me, they're going to hate you too. And I get that, and I understand that. But let's let the gospel offend people, and not the Christian. How are we living our lives? To draw people towards Christ, or to push them away? And the Lord says, because, because of this, you're going to be despised. I mean, it, it's almost like, it's almost like this just continues. It perpetuates itself throughout history of God's people. What's true then, what was true then, seems to be true now. We're always very quick to give the right answers before we've earned the trust of people to ask the question. And again, let me stress this, please. Understand, hear this. This is not about you being perfect, following the rules just right. You're, you're the most moral person in the church. Perfection and morality is where you now stand. Just so you know, you can't be morally perfect. Ethically, no, you can't get there either. That's why we need Jesus. It's not about that. It's about living your life Open and transparent, inviting people into relationships, loving, graceful relationships. It's about, it's about leading them to Christ. I don't mean getting them to say a prayer. That's easy. I'll see you in heaven. No, wrong answer. It's about living a way that invites people into your life. And by inviting people into our lives, they are invited into the life of Christ. These are questions that the people of God have to deal with and wrestle with. They're questions that are so filled with consequence that if we just ignore them, we're, we're in trouble. I fear that the Lord may spit us out of his mouth. It talks about it in Revelation but that's not it. God, God is going to... See, the beginning of Malachi, remember when the, the people call God out, right? Big mistake. Because they got like three sentences of calling God out. And then God's got the entire book of going, really? You want to go there? We're going there. And look what... He will continue the Lord. Verse 10. Do we not have one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do you profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Ah! So he's going to kind of leave the priests alone a little bit now. Now he's going to talk to people. 
common folk. People like us, the community, God's people. And so if he's talking to God's people, he's talking to us, Oasis Church. And I believe he's talking to the church, capital C, all across the world. Don't we have one Father? One God? One Holy Spirit? Don't we? We actually, there's I think nine or so churches in, in Cheshire. All of us, Protestant, evangelical-esque churches, we all play on the same team. <laughs> Imagine that. And some of them dress weird, like wear shoes. But we all have one Father, one Holy Spirit, one Jesus Christ that came to die for our sins. We are called into an intimate relationship with each other. People here and people out there. We are called into an intimate relationship with each other because of the oneness of the God that has created us and has given us life and has redeemed us by the power of the Holy Spirit through His Son, Jesus Christ. And then he questions, he throws the question out. <laughs> Why are you being faithful to, unfaithful to one another? Why are you treating each other like that? Why, why isn't the spiritual unity that we all have bringing us together instead of forcing us apart? Causing stupid little, little disagreements and arguments and building walls between congregations and people. And this is not just this, it's not just disagreeing with like, you know, I think a business should be run this way, I think a business should be run this way. It's, it's, it's not that petty little stuff. This is, this is about things that we've allowed to divide us. You know what divides us in the church? Sometimes, hymns or contemporary music. Are you kidding me? Suit and tie, dressed properly. Are you kidding me? We allow the, the, the most ridiculous things to come between us, cause division, and then they're over there, we're over here, we're going to do our thing, and they're going to do their thing, and nobody's going to talk to each other because obviously they don't know what they're doing. To raise your hand in worship or not. <gasps> really? Really? And so it comes down to, it really comes down to our relationship with God through our relationship with each other. Because the priests have profaned the sanctuary of God and became irreverent in their relationship with God. And that has caused the people in that same irreverent relationship with God. And now it's just finding and creeping itself into the interpersonal relationships of the people of God. And it's all falling apart for them. And God's going, man, you, you got to reel it in. You don't know how important this stuff is. When we disregard the love of the brothers and the sisters, man, we, 
we just throw away the work of Jesus on the cross? John 13, Jesus said this to the disciples. He's in the upper room, man, and it's getting intense, and it's coming down to it, and God says this. All right, Jesus says this. I give you a new command. Love each other. He didn't mention suggestion. Hey, if you're in the mood, hey, if they treat you well, then you should, no. I give you a new command. Love each other. As Jesus has loved us, we are called to love each other. Not just here, but out there. And that has to flow from our love of God. And it's then that people will know that we are his disciples. It is then that people will say, hey, they follow Jesus. You know, when you love the church, that ragtag, broken group of people that just don't seem to ever get it right, those people that just kind of mess up all the time, they're imperfect. In fact, some of those people even do stupid things. You may even know some of those people. In fact, you just may be some of those people. It's when we love the church, that group of broken, messed up, ragtag group of journeying people. It's then that the world notices that there's something different about it. And then our lives begin to draw people to the place of Christ. And not just push them away from him. It seems this whole not playing nice in the sandbox has been going on way too long. Way, way too long. But, but he doesn't stop here. It gets even better than this, okay? He's going to go even deeper into personal relationships. And this was the part that I was going to skip over. I did not want to preach on this part coming up. But I've made a commitment to myself before God, and I've made a commitment to this church that I will always preach and teach the full counsel of God. But let me tell you, I didn't want to do it. I looked for every possible excuse not to do it. Because what we're going to look at has become very, very unpopular in our culture. And I'm talking church culture. I'm talking evangelical worlds. Nobody, nobody really wants to go here. We kind of tippy-toe around it. And it happens especially with our younger generation. And so, I don't know, let's go there. Hold on your hat. Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. This is very harsh. This is not easy. What's being said here is something, God's saying something really bad is taking place. Something that's just not right and really bad. And he comes down pretty hard on the people that commit it. He tells them, kick them out. 
If they're doing this, give them the boot. Get rid of them. Call it excommunication. Call it kicking them out. God wants them gone. Even if they're bringing a sacrifice to Him. Even if they're coming to Him in worship. The Lord doesn't want our sacrifices. He wants our lives. He wants us to follow Him. That's what the Lord requires of us. It would seem that what is being said here that God is calling the people out on is that God's people are marrying people who are not God's people. And these people who are not God's people are actually of another religion. And they're worshiping other gods, which would mean that they're worshiping a false god. Now, this kind of raises some eyebrows in church world and evangelical worlds. Should or could a follower of Jesus marry someone who is not a follower of Jesus or practices a different religion? Well, we can say, you know, this is so Old Testament, though. I mean, God was really, he seemed like angry all the time in the Old Testament, right? I mean, this can't be for now. But if we fast forward, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul talks about not being yoked together with other people who don't believe in Christ. He uses, he uses really harsh language, too. What does light have to do with darkness? What does righteousness have to do with unrighteousness? I mean, those, are, those aren't easy words for us to get our mind around. And he uses the word yoked, which means to, to join together. And it, though he doesn't specifically use the word marriage, we can go with he's telling us not to be joined together with people who don't follow Christ. Ouch. And there is a most intimate of joining of people in the context, in the covenant of marriage. Well, Dennis, he doesn't use marriage. I know. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul tells people who have been widowed, if you want to be married, be married again but marry in the Lord. Marry a God follower, a Jesus follower. This is something that our younger generation in the church deal with more today than you can ever imagine. You have no idea how much this is being dealt with. And, it's, and it feels to them like a straitjacket. It feels so restrictive. It's a harsh rule. It's old school. You mean, uh, they're being told who they can fall in love with and who they shouldn't fall in love with. Doesn't that seem kind of harsh to you? You can't love that person, but you can love that person. What if you don't love that person? How can a faith be so haughty and so arrogant to think that we are better 
on some standard than, than other people who don't live our faith, don't believe the way that we believe. Isn't this Jesus thing about love and about grace? Didn't we just talk about those things? Isn't this Jesus thing about freedom? It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. These are really good questions. I face those questions all the time in my office. And so I think it's worth it for us to wrestle with that a little bit here this morning. We have to start with looking at the idea of freedom. Because, I mean, I mean that's what it feels like. It feels like, like God's just going, no more freedom for you. Pulls it away from us. Any faith is going to limit the things that you believe and the things that you don't believe. That's just across the board with any type of religion or any type of, any type of faith. And some would say that not being free to choose your moral compass or your moral standard really isn't freedom at all. It's just this, it's a straitjacket. It's just like people telling you, you got to believe this, you got to believe this, blah, 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 blah. So we really need to look at freedom from a philosophical, very, very high level philosophical um, position. Being free is not necessarily being without any uh, confinement, any constraints, or any restrictions. In fact, being free can mean having those things in your life. Disciplines, restrictions, constraints. Uh, I, watched, I watched a lot of the Olympics, man. My, by the time the Olympics were over, my eyes were bleeding out of my head. I, just, I, just, I was just... For whatever reason, this time around, I loved the Olympics. It was just good for your soul type stuff, you know? And and so the story that I heard over and over and over again, these Olympians, these athletes, they train every day for hours. And they train every day for hours for years to get to the Olympics. And they can't do certain things Because time does not allow them to do them. They can't eat certain things because of their commitment to training and to practice. And so what really has happened here is they've deliberately given up freedom in order to take and to pursue something else. And giving up that freedom and living in these restraints and constrictions has allowed them to achieve something that very few people in the world will ever achieve. Now, you know, let's, let's be realistic. Having restriction and, and constraint and discipline in our lives doesn't guarantee us freedom. Okay? A five-foot-tall person is probably never going to play for the NBA no matter how hard they practice no matter how hard and disciplined they are to learning the game of basketball. Restrictions and constraints only bring freedom when they fit our nature, who we actually are. Timothy Keller would use this example. A fish swims in the water. And a fish swims in the water because that's how a fish gets its oxygen. It has the gills and it breathes and takes in the water and somehow oxygen gets into the fish. The fish remains free while it's in the water. 
If you decide that you want to free the fish by putting him on land, that doesn't go well for the fish. He dies or she dies. Because you have disregarded the the, the basic nature of what and who a fish is. But when you constrict, constrain that fish to water, that fish lives. And it can remain free. And so freedom is not necessarily absence of restriction. Maybe freedom is really about finding the right ones, the right constraints. Find, find the ones that let us live freely and openly. Okay, good. I can see you're all mesmerized with that idea. Let's move this into the idea of marriage because that's where we're kind of landed on. That's what we're kind of wrestling with here. A key component in marriage, maybe some of you didn't know this, is love. Should be kind of there. But it's got to go. It's got to go past just that 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 butterfly in the belly love. We're talking about like First Corinthians thirteen verb type love stuff. You know, like commitment love. Love is both a great freedom. And it's a huge loss of freedom. And so we bring that into the idea of marriage. Marriage is a great freedom. But it's also a huge loss of freedom. Right now, I just want to say, can I get an amen, guys? But <laughs> I don't mean that. Just, just that fruit of the spirit sarcasm bubbling its way up. Um, see, I threw myself off my notes and everything. Okay, here we go. By design, I'm sorry. By design, in a marriage covenant relationship, you have to give your spouse a say in how you live your life. It's just the way it is. To experience joy to experience that deep intimacy of a covenant relationship that we call marriage, you you have to give up some of your personal freedom. You have to give up some of your independence. I, I truly, truly believe that we're most free in a loving, um, in, in a loving relationship. And marriage is one of marriage is like the ultimate loving relationship. And so marriage is this healthy, mutual, unselfish service to each other. It's a mutual loss between a man and a woman, a mutual loss of independence. That's that's kind of the foundation of marriage. Both sides have to have this attitude going in with of I'm I'm going to adjust to you and for you. And we're going to bring these two separate lives together and adjustments are going to have to be made. There's this attitude of sacrificial service. And now you may be thinking, yeah, okay, that's good. We get that, Dennis. But this doesn't look like that. This looks like God is, he is making all the rules. He's telling us how this is going to play out. He's saying, it's my way or the highway. And if we don't follow the rules, we get the boots. That's a very good question, but it's a wrong thought. It's the wrong idea because God has adjusted to us. 
God has served us. He came to this earth, entered into this, this human life, this human form, with all of, its, all of its sufferings and limitations and hurts and hunger and thirst and sore feet and a bad back. All of those things he entered into and said, I am going to serve you. I've come to be with you, even to the point of my own death. He died so that we would not die. God, through Jesus Christ, said, I am going to adjust to you, even if it means giving my life. And so if God has done this for us, and we say that we're in a loving relationship with him, then how are we supposed, how are we supposed to, to react and respond in that relationship? Freedom is not the absence of limitations or restraints. It's about finding the right ones, finding the ones that, that fit our nature, who we are, finding the ones that let us live freely. We are children of the living God, bought with the price by his precious son, with his own blood, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's who the church is. That's who we are. And so the command from God for us not to enter knowingly into a marriage with someone of a different faith, practicing a different religion, it's not a loss of any freedom at all. It's not punishment. It's not because we're better than they are. It's not because we're some superior race and they must be some inferior human beings. It's a restriction that liberates us. Because of who we are, it frees us fully to live the calling that God has called us to. We were created to live a life sacred and divine, a God life that would bring him glory. We're created to live a life that serves other people and, and, and shows them Jesus Christ. We are created to join God in his redemptive mission in the world and, and, and come alongside him. That's our calling. That's who we are. That is our nature. That's the life that Jesus came to secure for us. And so our ability to remain completely free in that doesn't come from compromising by entering into a covenant relationship of marriage with someone who doesn't practice, follow the teachings of Jesus. Because see, by definition, marriage, by the definition of marriage, we will have to compromise a little bit of who we are. By the definition of marriage, we have to allow our spouse to speak deeply and intimately into our lives. And by doing so, we will lose the freedom, some of the freedom that Jesus came to give us. Not because we're better than anyone, not because they're less of a human being, not because they, they're incapable of love, God doesn't want us to lose not a single bit of what Jesus came to give us. Not a single little molecule of that freedom does he want us to, lead, to lose. 
He wants it in all of its fullness that we can walk in it every single day of our lives. To walk 100% fully with Him and for Him. Knowing Him. Loving Him. Growing in Him. Now, in saying that, I have to say this. And the Bible's very, very clear on this. What happens when you're married and God gets a hold of one of you? And all of a sudden, you find yourself a follower of Jesus and your wife or your husband is not a follower of Jesus. What then? Here's what the Bible says. And the Bible's very clear. You stay married. And you love your wife and you love your husband. Wives, you're to submit to your husband in reverence as you're submitting to the Lord. Not in some, not in some perverted, weird way, but this is, this is a spiritual submission. Wives, or husbands, you're to love your wives as Christ loved the church, serving them, putting their needs before your own, loving them. The Bible is very clear on that. And the love and the grace of God will come and just, and just heal over any of those differences that you may experience. But to knowingly, to knowingly enter into a covenant relationship of marriage with somebody that te- uh, follows a different religion. The Lord says, don't compromise the freedom that I've given you. The Lord is jealous for us. Jealous that we would stay his people, sold out 110% jealous. You see, it's never been about the rules. It's never been about, oh, God is just a mean, crabby old man trying to make sure that he controls every area of my life. It's never been about that. It has always been about freedom and his love for his people. That he wants us to walk 100%. I don't even know how many times I've said 100% this morning. It feels like I've said it a lot. 100% freely in the ways of God. It's never been about the rules. Always been about His love. What He's called us to. To walk freely in that. It is for freedom that you have been set free. And so the table this morning is, is not about rules. It's not about the, these, these, the idea of restriction and I can't and you shouldn't. It's about freedom. The freedom that God wants for his people that calls us, that, that he calls us into. The freedom that Jesus came and stretched out his arms on a cross and had nails driven into his hands. Nails driven into his feet. A spear into his side. That's how he paid for the freedom that we can walk in.